Welcome to Sonic Stories, the show where music, human performance, and life intersect and are shared through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and on this show, I invite a guest to choose three songs that have shaped their life in one way or another, and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the sport performance psychology space, supporting athletes, performing artists, and executives on working through any mental obstacles they might be facing to optimize their strengths, fully realize their performance. But outside of that, I also work for a financial technology company. And um, one quick tidbit or topic I want to highlight at the top of the episode before getting into the affiliated partnership with Mudwater, as well as the guest, is just talking about the idea of being present and being mindful and being able to be still. I think maybe this is top of mind because it's something I've been thinking about lately for myself, but I think it's also just a good reminder for everyone as we get slowly closer to the holidays. So thinking about Thanksgiving, if you celebrate that holiday, um, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, all those holidays as well as we kind of round out the, the year, which is kind of bonkers to believe that we're almost halfway through this month of November. That kind of blows my mind. Um, I kind of think about that, but anyways, being, being present, being still. So I bring this up. Um, as I said, it is a good reminder for everyone, but I think oftentimes that anything that we're working on or any relationships that we're a part of or anything that we're putting, anything that we're putting energy into, we can often not get the results that we'd like. And sometimes things just don't go the way that we'd like if we feel very rushed and we have this swelling sense of anxiety in ourselves and we're moving fast and we're not able to slow down and just be present with ourselves, with the people that we're around, with the thing that we're working on. Um, it'll just allow things to develop and just kind of coexisting with the things that we're a part of and that the people we're around. And so, like I said before, it's a good reminder for myself. I think with some parts of the work that I do, I can feel myself getting very sped up, which then kind of just trickles down in so many different areas where I could feel my body kind of tensing up, my shoulders arching, my 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 breathing becomes very shallow and I can't get enough air in my body. And so my heart rate, heart rate increases and then I get in a sense of kind of uh, frantic panic, I guess you could say. And it's uncomfortable, as you would say. And even just talking about it right now, I'm like, ah, I hate when I start feeling that way. It just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Um, so I bring that up as, like I said, a reminder to myself, but I do think it's something that a lot of people face, you know, maybe day in and day out or just at any point in the week. And so uh, my encouragement to you is just to get outside for a walk, assuming it's not too cold or you're, you're physically able to, but just getting out for a walk, um, taking a look in the surroundings with or without music. I think listening to classical music can be really peaceful and calming while walking, um, but also just nothing at all. And if you're able to get into a green space like a park, an arboretum, a quiet street, just listening to wind, trees, anything around you, and just noticing what happens to your mood and your energy as you take that in and you're breathing. And it can be pretty astonishing. So I just want to share that with, with you all for the for this week's episode. But quick announcement before I get to introduce our lovely guest. Um, <clears throat> as some of you may know, if you're listening to this podcast, podcast, I've been in an affiliated partnership with a great company called Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative that has all the pros of coffee and virtually none of the cons. It has organic ingredients to improve mental and physical performance, minimize mood swings, improve physical stamina, immunity, and overall health. It contains masala chai, cacao, a blend of four medicinal mushrooms such as lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, and reishi, and some other simple spices that you probably have in your kitchen right now like cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan sea salt. 
And for myself, I love coffee. I've been a daily drinker for a number of years. I still enjoy coffee and still drink it pretty much daily. But I did get sick of those super high peaks and then the crashes in the middle of the day around 1, 2 p.m. when I still have several hours of work to get done. I just life to live. Essentially, I have things to do. Um, and so mud water has been a really nice change to my morning ritual where I'll start with a cup of that. And then after that, I'll have a little bit of coffee, maybe just a half a cup, just to kind of give an extra boost of energy. And then later in the afternoon, if I feel myself getting drowsy or just kind of lacking the energy that I need to finish up the day well, then I will have another second of a cup of mud water. Um, and it gives me just, just enough of a boost to kind of <clears throat> finish out the day and not impact my sleep later on, which sometimes can be a worry of folks when it, when it comes to consuming caffeine or any sort of, um, energy, uh, boosting food or drink is how is it going to impact my sleep for myself? I can confidently say mud water does not impact my sleep negatively. I'm able to get to bed, no problem, I'm able to relax. Um, and it's just a really smooth feeling and, and boost of energy. So I really appreciate it. And so, um, yeah, that's my recommendation. But outside of all that, they do donate to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to support psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for those suffering from depression, PTSD, addiction, and suicidal ideation. After doing research on the company and on top of enjoying their product in general, it was a bit of a no-brainer just to reach out and team up with them. And so... If you'd like to give Mudwater a try, there's a link in the show notes of this episode that'll take you directly to the website where you can place an order. And now onto this episode's guest. For this week, I was joined by Claire Canapel. Claire is, is a, a new connection that I have in my life. She is a housemate of a good friend of mine in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, she's a multi-instrumentalist. She's done improv in the past. Um, she is tall. So immediately three things that she and I have in common. <laughs> um but she's, she's really cool. She's a really easy hang, really great chat. I think she has a lot of interesting ideas, which I definitely come up in, in the episode itself. But it's kind of thinking about thinking about how, these, how she thinks and thinking about how she operates. Um, it's just really fascinating. She's a fascinating person to me. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think that shows with just the duration of the episode. It's one of the longer ones. We chatted for a while and it felt like it flew by for me. I really, really enjoyed it. And so, um, yeah, tune in. Here we go. Here's Claire. Hey, Claire, how are you? Doing great. It's a beautiful day. Happy to be alive. You know yeah, what? You, you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> but it's the simple things. Yeah, now that you say that, I too am happy to be alive. And before we were recording, you said you wanted a bike ride. Do you go? Are you a frequent rider of the streets yeah. of Madison? I am. I am tearing up the streets of Madison on the daily. Uh, I'm a big like bike commuter, all weather. Um, I bought some waterproof pants a couple years ago, and that nice. was a total game changer for the like biking strategy. Um, if anyone's considering being an all winter biker, I would highly recommend yeah, waterproof pants. For sure, especially in the Midwest where you will face like snow and ice and cold. Yeah, it's the real deal. Do you also have tires that are kind of outfitted for snow and ice so like studded tires no i've got like a an old mountain bike good yeah. glad it's glad it's not just like a, a road bike with skinny little tires that could be scary oh my god yeah i had one experience where i was uh biking on the road and like my back tire fishtailed uh when i was riding like a road bike uh and i decided never again will i do that yeah it's it's just like one little slip one little slip right? and that's and that's that <laughs> well Thank you for joining to be on the show. I'm excited to be talking with you about these three songs. 
it was very fascinating listening to these three songs. It kind of like, because in my, I guess my prep and practice, I like listen to the songs. I think about the person and I'm thinking like, why, why and what and how and where and with whom and all these different things. So I'm really excited to like dig into these with you and hear the stories. I'm sure it stuck out to you as a fellow bass player. These aren't like super bass heavy songs. Correct. <laughs> which maybe you would ex you would expect from a bass player to like pick songs that have a better groove to them than the ones I chose. But yeah, I don't know. They they speak to me in different ways. Yeah. Even if you are a bass player, if someone plays a particular instrument, music speaks to you in different ways, whether it's like leading with your instrument or not. Yeah. Well, and this is something too that, um, so I listened to the previous podcast that you did, um, okay. which was delightful. And one of the things that your interviewee, whose name escapes me, um, that he said was like when he's working on uh, some, a piece of music, right? You kind of study that genre. So all you listen to is music from that genre. So then you kind of get immersed in like this style and then this style, and it's not a lot of listening to stuff that you like per mm -hmm. se. So I, I think it, it has kind of affected my, my music listening habits because a lot of times when I'm listening to, to, to like music, that's more like the stuff that I play. It's more like work. Um, Interesting. And that's kind of, yeah, that's like the way that I'm approaching it is like, instead of enjoying it, I'm studying it. Yeah. 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 It's a different digestive process. Totally. Interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, let's, before we get even deeper to this, let's just do like a quick housekeeping things. I would love for you to introduce yourself. Oh, sure. Right. Uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, I'm Claire Canapel. I am a double bassist and electric bassist, uh, piano player in Madison, multi-instrumentalist. Um, I play in a couple groups here. Uh, I'm in a bluegrass band called Big Tooth and a, like a funk folk trio called Old Oaks. And then when I saw you last, you also told me about a video series from the front row right yes uh my, share a little bit on that I'm, yeah so i'm starting a video series um it's a live concert event production video series so it's called from the front row and we are going to be highlighting different bands and different locations um we're gonna find midwestern and national touring acts put them in like some unique spaces from the Midwest. You know, we got a lot of cool, interesting things that don't exist anywhere else, like yeah. crazy corn mazes, you know, or just some of these like beer halls and just a <laughs> lot of really interesting culture that uh, yeah. we want to share with the rest of the world. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I will definitely, after we are finished here, I would love to get um, any links, any materials I can post on in the show notes so other people can sure find your your stuff sounds great yeah sweet okay um let's let's start chewing on these songs so fernando by abba is the first song mm -hmm. that you chose and then paradise by is it john prine or preen prine prine and the last one i do not speak french so you might want to cover your ears for whatever i'm about to say which i think it's pronounced ma marie loyer pete pousse by morris Ravel. Close. It's <laughs> <laughs> Ma Mère Loyer, I believe. Okay. Uh, Petit Pousse by Maurice Ravel. Maurice, thank you. I think that was more painful for myself to listen to. You handled it really well, but I hated every second of what I just said. 
<laughs> I'm sorry for putting you through that. <laughs> yeah, look what you made me do, Claire. Look what you made me do. <laughs> That's okay. Well, cool. So before we dive into any of the first three songs, is there anything that you want to say as we just like zoom out and you think think about these three songs? Anything you want to to kind of list out as a header? Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of touched on earlier that a lot of my listening is in service of of my bands and, and like gigging and stuff. Um, so the songs that I ended up choosing uh, mean something to me kind of differently. They're they're more tied to like people in my life. Um, and mostly my dad, who is kind of the reason that I am a musician. He, um, I like some of my strongest memories as a child would be like hearing him playing guitar in my parents' room. And so I'd go in and just sit on the bed and just kind of watch, you know? And I think like his love of music and and him playing that I think was really inspirational for me as a kid and and that's one of the one of the things that kind of keeps me going. Um, yeah, so oh, two of the songs are very tied to like music through my father. Sure. Yeah, and I feel like I have a good sense of which those ones are, um, but I'm very very curious to dig in and actually like hear all the details. That's awesome though. He sounds like a yeah. really special guy. Yeah, he's great. He's awesome. That's sweet. Sweet. Okay. Well, let's start with um the let's start with this very first song that I listed, Fernando by by ABBA. So, how did mm -hmm. this? I'm I'm assuming is this one from your dad? Yep. Um so this one is actually tied to both my dad and my grandpa on my mom's side, um, at least in my listening and my emotional connection to the song. Um, so my grandfather, a uh, very fascinating individual. He's, um, you know, like most grandfathers are, a bit old school. He lives in Florida or lived in Florida. He passed away uh, last year. But then he also bought this piece of land in Virginia and it's just like extremely rural. He's got a farm out there where he raised cattle. Um, and he's very like salt of the earth type. So my a lot of my cherished memories from as a kid, we would drive up uh, for, you know, 4th of July every year. We drive up to this farm, like a six hour drive from where I lived. It'd be this big road trip with my family. Um, and we'd spend a week at the farm and it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty rough living. Um, there was just like a log cabin and some like lean twos for overflow sleeping where it's just like three walls and some shelves and you put a sleeping bag on one of the shelves, kind of like a backpacking uh, lean to type thing. Yeah. But anyways, this guy, you know, he, he loves the land and he loves just, you know, being part of of just the things that he's created, um, very like self-sufficient. I never in my life heard him sing or talk about music at all. And one year, maybe five years ago at Christmas, we, we were singing carols or something. And my dad was like, oh, we should learn Fernando by uh, Abba, Abba, Abba. And um, I, I somehow he knew it was my grandpa's, like a, and a song that's important to my grandpa. Um, and so we play the song and he starts like crying, which is also, I think I'd never seen my grandfather do. Yeah. You know, emotion 
was not a thing that was presented besides like you know well, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> I'm getting lost in my words, but I'd never seen him cry before. And I remember being really struck by that and not really understanding like what that song meant to him. And I, I still don't fully understand what that song meant to him, but um, seeing it, seeing music affect him so powerfully was like a really powerful experience. And then um, he passed away, like I said, about a year ago and uh, we had like a a big celebration of life. Um, people were swapping stories about him and they were saying like, oh yeah, uh, Alex, which was his name, you know, when he was in the Merchant Marines, he used to love sitting around a campfire and singing songs. And like, this was like a big part of his life, which I never knew about. Um, and he spent a fair amount of time in Mexico, which I think was maybe some of the connection to the song. It's like kind of talking about the Rio Grande and and, that area. Um, so it was a way to like connect back to his life. And then my dad performed the song at, at the celebration of life. And it was just really beautiful. I, um, yeah, I think I'll kind of always have a deep emotional connection to that song because it kind of reminds me of my grandfather and my dad. Yeah, that's a really sweet story. That's really, really cool. How did because I imagine after being at that celebration of life and hearing people swap stories about him and then learning that and it, it, for you at that time, it's almost like this hidden secret side of him where like, oh, this guy actually likes sitting by a fire and like yucking, yucking it up with people and singing songs. Like, who is this guy? But how did you, like after being there that day, hearing the stories, hearing the song from your dad that he, that he performed, how did that kind of shift or change your perspective of your grandfather? Yeah, it, it really was cool because i mean i i don't know how much you see your extended family but for me it was once every year basically you spend a week with them and so like you you've known them your whole life but in some cases you don't actually know a ton about them right um and yeah one one of the things that they had said uh while people were sharing stories was like you know, when, when he went to the army or into the merchant Marines, that was like a big moment for him that he was successful in it. You know, I think he, he had like felt like he had failed at a lot of things. And then somehow this was like something that he was proud of and very, it felt very successful at. And like, you don't hear, you know, he would never have told us how he felt about his failures and successes. Right. Um, or yeah, but then also this bit about like him when he was a, a younger man being, yeah, much more open and like singing, which I'd never heard him do. It, yeah, it's cool. It, it adds a lot of depth and um, yeah, just adds some depth to the man that I knew. Yeah, yeah, it adds, it adds more of like a humanization. Like there's more layers and it's just like, this proves that there's a spectrum of personalities and interests and like just chapters in people's lives. Like that was a chapter in his life that is now for him, it was kind of a memory. And then when you were born and came about and you're growing up with him and seeing him once a year for him, it's just like kind of locked away maybe in like the recesses of his memory. Yeah. And, and one thing too, is like, you know, especially when your relatives get older and when they've been old for a long time, you know, your memories kind of, become them 
as as a as like an older person as a person who's in a home or something you know it just it was cool to to get some of those memories not replaced but to to be reminded of like this used to be like this was a vibrant person who lived a full life and it it was cool to get kind of connected back into that for sure yeah because like you said in the way that you knew him initially he never really showed a lot of emotion maybe he was like very uh very stoic and kind of bottled up but then you see this it's like whoa this guy was like an abba guy (laughs) yeah right (laughs) this dude like he dug abba he loves abba yeah (laughs) That's really interesting. Cool. And so another part I'm really curious about too, is you said that it sounded like this song was kind of prompted by your father to be played at the celebration of life and he performed it. What do you know, or what can you share about the relationship between your dad and his father-in-law, your grandfather? Yeah, this is also a really interesting thing about my grandpa. Again, with like, you know, he's from a different era, but so my mom who, you know, he's her dad, she has a much different relationship with him than her brothers. She was the oldest of six and had mm-hmm. five younger brothers. And so like when that happens, when you're the only girl and the oldest, you just become like a second mom. Kind sure. of. So I think like the expectations put upon her were very different. And then, you know, my, my uncles talked a lot about how, you know, they, their experience with their dad was through engineering projects. He would always have these like Mm -hmm. crazy (laughs) engineering projects, either at the farm or at their house in um, Titusville, where like, that's how they learned. And they were like, most of them are engineers now. That's how they learned how to do that. Okay. Um, So like my mom had this experience with her dad. And then my dad, when I was talking to him about grandpa, you know, he, he's, you know, knows my mom's experience too, but then also was saying that like, he felt like grandpa really liked him, that he was like really liked by his father-in-law and that he like felt really accepted by the family, sometimes more than his own family in some ways. So I think he really, really respected grandpa and, and I think there was a lot of love in that relationship. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like it because if I think if, if one doesn't feel like there's a level of acceptance and like belonging with the people they were raised by or raised with, and then they marry into a family where they are kind of getting that, well, it's like, well, hell yeah, I love this guy. Like yeah, he's loving right. me more or like giving me more than my own parents and my own siblings or whatever it is. So that's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Are there any other ABBA songs that you had uncovered that your grandpa liked from that experience? No one talked about any other ones. I think, uh, yeah, I think that was like news to kind of everyone at the celebration of life. Yeah. <laughs> he was a, a music lover and an ABBA guy. Yeah, that's super interesting. And you said, so he was, he went to the Merchant Marines. Mm-hmm. That's, I haven't heard of the Merchant Marines. What does that mean? Yeah, my understanding of it, and I may be wrong, but it, it's more about like the, the transportation of supplies Okay. Um, and I'm not sure which branch of the armed services they service, but I, I think it's mostly about like making sure that like troop supplies get from place to place. Okay. Um, so I know he spent a lot of time like on boats and traveling. I don't think he saw any combat. That was not part of his tour of service. Oh man, I want to say that he... In the Merchant Marines, his job was like janitorial. I'm just remembering this now. 
Really? It was like a, yeah, it was like a, an aside that someone said at this celebration of life, which Whoa. was also like totally mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> that's even, I mean, we should just do a whole nother like song about that. I know. That's wild. So interesting. It's a fascinating yeah. guy. I know. Yeah. We're, you know, you, when you hear someone's like, oh yeah, he was in the, he was in the armed services. You like think of one thing, but it was like, oh no, he was a, janitor yeah yeah like but you know I, I think he was a really good and successful janitor and he like got a lot of joy out of that like yeah. that helped him like feel the sense of like strong accomplishment so yeah like he, he's doing his part like yeah it, it takes exactly. everybody right yeah that's super fascinating yeah the, with the way this conversation was going i never would have guessed that it turned out like this military man who has like lean tos built on his property for like hosting guests was a big ABBA guy and was also like a very proficient janitor. I know. Yeah, he uh, was one of a kind, one of yeah. a kind person. He is a muse of some kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Super interesting. Cool. Well, before we, I'm just looking at the time, before we get going over to um, Paradise by John Prine, is there anything else you want to share about Fernando by the 70s Swedish band abba uh yeah actually as as prep for this i was doing a little bit of research into the song um and fun fact about abba or about fernando is that the swedish lyrics and the uh english lyrics are actually different to the point that like the song is about two different things depending on which language you listen to it in whoa so yeah so like for for the english version right it's talking about like two veterans of war kind of like talking about their experience, which I imagine is maybe what connected so strongly to my grandfather, you know? Yeah. But the Swedish version is like a guy just like reminiscing about his, a lost love. So it, you know, yeah. they're like, it's two completely different yeah. um, interpretations of it. And so, yeah, it's just interesting to me. I, I wonder if, it had been directly translated if it would have spoken to him as strongly yeah like what if what if in in sweden it's not even called fernando what if it's just like henrik yeah actually that was another thing was like in the original version didn't yeah it doesn't have fernando in it and then it was recorded as like a solo project by one of the members of abba and then they later wow. titled it fernando because of like a, a bartender that they knew um and like they wanted to incorporate that in it i don't i don't know if fernando is actually in the swedish version that abba recorded or not um but yeah it's like it, it's the song has lived many different lives yeah just like my grandfather but clearly clearly yeah so many different layers that's so fascinating and i wonder like because abba became like a very commercially successful band in the 70s i wonder if like they wanted to reorient it or just kind of like massage it into something else to be able to bring it to the states or to wherever it could really blow up and then take off i wonder if that ever like played a, a part in it at all yeah it's i i would be very curious to know how that conversation or you know the conversations around them changing the song so strongly yeah, were. yeah it's like what, what if we bring it to the states and let's just call it fernando because that the bartender <laughs> let's just change it yeah yeah, right. They'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Get this, guys. It's not about an old loss. It's about a bartender. And yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let's go over to the next song, Paradise 
by John Prine. So different energy, different genre. How did this one get into your, your three? Okay. So this one still about my dad. Um, this is one that when, uh, when we like meet up for, for like family get togethers or whenever I visit, we'll do a little bit of jamming. Mm-hmm. And the song is always one that, that he plays. And I just love it. It's just really nice. It just kind of, you know, hits, uh, hits me in a way that the other songs that we play together don't. And part of it is like, my father's from Kentucky and the song is set in Kentucky. Um, I, I was trying to think about like, what is it about this song that like, that resonates with me so strongly and makes me think of my dad so strongly besides the fact that it's just Kentucky based and it has the word like dad in it. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> Very literal. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and it was, it was written by John Prine for his father. Um, mm. But I think one of the things that I, that I really love about it is it's like, uh, it's talking about like, take me back to, to this place in Kentucky where I grew up. And, and the, the point of the song is basically like that place doesn't exist anymore. It has since been destroyed by industry. Um, and I think like, it's, it's like a nice parallel to kind of wanting to go back to childhood and, you know, you, nothing is the same. You can't kind of recapture that. Even your relationship with your family, your parents is different than it was when you were a kid. For sure. Um, but, but you know, you you still have like memories and strong connections to to like the events of your childhood that like still hold over. Yeah, yeah, and like with that, like just with you had mentioning that he that John Prine wrote it for his father, and the song was about this place that kind of no longer exists. My my feeling is that he must be must have this like sense of yearning for that place and like being there at that time. But also like if it's a song written for his father, I wonder if he's missing something with his father too. Like I, I wish I was like my younger self where my dad was like my daddy and we could be like playing and going out and doing whatever type of stuff that we like to do. I don't know. Yeah. I I resonate with that. I think like it's a, a simpler time and, and you don't realize that until, until it's gone kind of yeah it's so true like it just even just like thinking about my own childhood it's like man i really wish i could just go back and like have like four jolly ranchers and be just like happy (laughs) as a clam and like that that's like and that's like the big thing i did that day and i was damn proud of it i know me and my friends uh my house growing up it was pretty pretty woodsy area um in georgia and me and my friends would just kind of tromp around in the woods. We lived like not on a lake, but nearby to a lake. And so we'd always just go like tromp around the lake shore and just kind of walk around and I don't know, try and skip rocks and stuff. It's very, very basic. Yeah. Uh, But really, really peaceful and fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it can be, it's a very simple time where it's like, 
the expectations of fun. Like, I think in some ways when you grow up, like our expectations of fun get kind of like warped because we've been exposed to so many things. It's like, well, this won't be as fun as the thing I did when I was traveling abroad in Europe for my <laughs> junior year. It's like, I don't want to go like, go skip rocks at the lake because that's boring. But it's like, yeah. when you're younger, your world hasn't gotten that big yet. So it's like, guys, we're going to go skip rocks at the lake shore. And everyone's like oh, super man. down. Oh, that sounds so rad. Yeah. 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 Um, that reminds me of Dopamine Nation, which I've been reading. I I think in the previous episode that I listened to that you did, you were talking about Huberman, Huberman Lab. Yes. Uh, which I also love that podcast and have been listening to a lot about dopamine and just, just like our understanding of what pleasure is and how we get it, right? And it's like simple things like skipping rocks and walking around on the lake. like Yeah because we fill our lives with these phones and whatever else we do to like feel good. It's hard, harder to enjoy simpler things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little tainted. Get, we get a little spoiled, a little tainted sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Everyone should read dopamine nation. It's so good. Who is that by? Um, dopamine nation is written by Anna Lemke. Got it. Anna Lemke. I'm glad you mentioned the Huberman Lab podcast too, because I mean, the a part of the premise of this podcast is yes, music and yes, storytelling, but it's also a little bit related, related to performance psychology. And Andrew Huberman talks a lot about performance in these different areas. Just thinking about your experience as a bass player, instrumentalist, what does performance mean to you? And kind of like, how does that play a role in your life? I mean, it's definitely like a, a drug, you know, in some cases, like I love being on stage. I love performing. I, mm. that's what I do it for is like the high you get from playing music for people. I think I, I've kind of always had music in my life. I studied classical piano as a kid and through high school, which we'll talk about when we talk about the Ravel piece. Um, and kind of ever since then, you know, performance is tied to music for me. You know, it's you learn a song so that you can perform it has been my experience throughout my life. Um, so, yeah, for me, a song kind of doesn't feel finished until it's been played in front of someone. And, yeah, I, I, I love performing. I love the like adrenaline rush you get from like, especially the first time when you perform something and you're not quite sure if it's going to go well. Yeah. And it does go well. Like, uh, that's such a good feeling. Yeah, it's the best. What is so you said? You said in front of other people. What is it specifically about performance being done in front of other people that gives you such a high level of joy, satisfaction, excitement, adrenaline rush, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think the the goal of of performing music for people is that you can affect them in some way, right? Like I I write music for myself, but I play it so that I can share it with other people. And there's no better feeling than knowing that you have like caused someone to feel something because of your music, you know, be it them just like having a great time hanging out with their buddies and hear their background music. Like, that's great. I love that. I have been in many bands that I would consider like background music bands, but like we're building that ambiance which is allowing people to have like a really beautiful night with their friends yeah um or if there's like lyrics that you write that speak to someone and allow them to to 
process something that they're working through or just to like feel something that's a beautiful thing you know we we're so busy sometimes we forget to to like check in with our emotions and i think music is a really powerful tool for that this is the one thing i could not agree with you more on like i <laughs> live like i seek it out for like medicinal purposes in some way like listening to a particular particular song if i'm like in a not so great mood listening to a song that will help me get to a great mood or if i feel like i'm kind of like super sped up in work mode and i'm frantic and trying to accomplish things but i, I know i need to slow down then i'll put on something to help me regulate to that level yeah it's i mean the, the way that it can affect you is insane you know like yeah it, you can change your mood you can change how you're feeling based on a song yeah in like 30 seconds even if it's just like a, yeah. a portion of a second or a portion of a song mm -hmm. totally. yeah. that's wild Ugh. can you imagine like i don't want to do this like torturous exercise but can you imagine what the world would be like if there was no music i cannot i cannot imagine that i can't either we'd be worse humans certainly without a doubt can you imagine like crazy wild rock star artists that are out there and if they didn't have like the music if they didn't, if they like did have that thing to do, like what else would they have done? Right, like let, let's Steven Tyler, Aerosmith. What would he be doing with himself if he did not have music? God, that's such a good question. Maybe just like you know, really buttoned up corporate uh, accountant. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, what if he's a sandwich artist and he goes down to his local subway and just puts together a crazy Italian EMT <laughs> and he's so proud of it. Yeah, that's true. The artistic. Uh, creativity would have to come out somehow yeah yeah or like you even hear about um amarello from rage against the machine and he's mm -hmm. played and he played an audio slave as well he actually is a very big dungeons and dragons fan like he plays in a group of like other famous like movie stars like vince vaughn and the two showrunners from game of thrones uh db weiss and dan something i can't remember his last name but like and like the big show, who's like a professional wrestler too. Like all those guys play in like a D&D group or, or did oh play in a D&D group. Yeah. That sounds like the most fun D&D group in the world. I Can know. you imagine? Ugh. It's an app. <laughs> it's it's like everything I would want in a circus and more. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I'm happy for them. That sounds great. Totally. Totally. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think Steven Tyler has a good career ahead of him in making sandwiches. Maybe we should, we should contact him about it. Yeah. That's like, um, you know, Great British Bake Off. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of the comedian, but he's one of the... Um, he's oh, a, he's a host, right? Uh, Noel Fielding, I believe is his name. But yeah, like, you know, he used to be this like wacky sketch comic and now he is on a cooking show and it's delightful. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I hope that's... for all of us to have that kind of transition. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to performance. Like he clearly, maybe if he's not like doing bits and on a sketch show or doing anything like that, like on screen, he has to like be kind of yucking it up and like doing like a version of improv with food baking contestants. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right. Cannot be stopped, you know, right. cannot be contained. It's true. Yeah. Performance lifestyle, but that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about what you had mentioned about performance in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like I, I've done diff many different types of performance. I also did improv comedy for a while mm. and it, you know, it's, it's like 
all improv or all performance is good. You know, for me, like I just love being on stage. I don't know yeah. what it is. I just I have the bug. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. What have been what have been some of your favorite performances? Actually, two parter. What have been some of your famous uh, favorite performances that you've done? And then what are the ones that you're most proud of? Mm. Let's see. Favorite performances and most proud of. Some of the favorite performances I've done um, for improv, I had like a, a small team. This is before I joined the troupe that I'm a member of now, Monkey Business Institute. Before that, when I was just taking classes, we um, had like little class or like student teams that, that we could perform and, and have like kind of competitions on Tuesday nights. And my team, the Foxy Morons, we just like played really well together. And it was this like really beautiful, inventive time in my life where there was less pressure because we weren't main stage players and we could just kind of experiment and do whatever. And the, the stakes were really low. I don't know. It, I, I think back on it and think of like, some of the highs that we had in performances were were great. I mean, I'll never be able to explain an improv show and have it be funny, but you know, <laughs> there's like there's like a bit where where we did like a um a bachelorette themed show where we take, you know, the structure of the bachelorette and then just like improvise other things. And yeah, I just yeah. remember that one just going so well and being so funny. <laughs> uh yeah i, I could i can imagine that getting particularly outlandish and ridiculous really quickly yeah i know it's it already starts pretty insane so <laughs> sky's the limit yeah um as far as music performances that were my favorite um oh so i used to be in a pop rock band called woodrow and we performed uh like 20 16 to 2018 ish and the final show that we had our lead singer um moved to nashville and so the band broke up but the final performance we did we did at the burr oak which is a local performance venue packed the place with just like a tons of friends and people who'd been going to shows for the past like three years or so um, and I distinctly remember one moment of it we we're playing a song and people were singing the lyrics so loudly that like I couldn't hear myself sing, wow. which is like, I oh. never thought I would experience that moment. It was so incredibly powerful um, that like people knew the lyrics to our songs. Or stuff. Yeah, it was, oh man, it was so cool. I, it was such a cool moment. I, I hope to experience that at least one more time before I die. <laughs> I hope I hope you do too. I hope I do. That's I hope you do too. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was such a rush. Um, and just like, you know, whenever you're in a, a room of people all shouting lyrics together, like that's just a, a really great moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that that might be my favorite, one of my favorite moments so far. Um, as far as moments that I'm proud of, um, I was in another band that that has broken up recently, but was I was in for a couple of years. Uh, Toyger was a like a jazz fusion quartet. And we would just kind of play the hardest songs we could find. Um, essentially, that was what the what the band was created for was yeah. uh, a bunch of jazz musicians who were just like, 
we can't find anyone to play these crazy songs with us. So then we all kind of came together. And so we were learning songs like, I think Yellow Jackets tunes, which are absolutely insane. And they're these kind of really interesting melds between like jazz fusion and they're kind of like classical in some ways. There's a lot of like counterpoint happening. Mm. Um, we would do some Korea tunes. We would do yeah. uh, Robert Glasper. It, it was just really, really fun. But I remember that this one Yellow Jacket song that we would play. Um, oh gosh, Sea Folk. And I had it memorized and would perform it from memory, which I was always very proud of. You know, yeah. so it's a small moment, but like there's there's a really beautiful like counterpoint moment at the end of the song. And I would always, when we played it, I would just close my eyes and, and like play it and just be totally immersed in the moment. And it just felt so good. Mm. <laughs> it's always such a joy to play. And I was just really proud of us for for doing that, for tackling it and succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like with the four of you in Toyger, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, it sounds like the four of you, I mean, seeking out really hard stuff to play, particularly stuff in the fusion world, like you, like, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm most familiar with Chick Corea of the names that you had mentioned, a little bit of Robert Glasper over the last few months, I really enjoyed some of his stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like, the iconic line in spain by chick Corea. and like i'm just thinking about you like not obviously not playing that but playing like something similar to that by memory yeah. eyes closed and just just like tearing it up that is i think it's incredibly impressive and i think my the whole point of what i was going to say in the beginning is that the four of you are really stretching yourselves by playing this super difficult stuff by people that are considered to be the greats robert like chick Corea, chick Corea, absolutely one of the greats same with robert glasper oh, yeah. So that's like, that's super cool. Like good for you guys. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I was really proud of that. Uh, as an aside, Chikoria, uh, my, my bandmates, we would just like hang out and swap records and just like listen to music and they have incredible music taste, but mm-hmm. all of them uh, would constantly say time warp by Chikoria, a 1995 album is like Ooh. the seminal Chikoria record that you got to listen to. So okay. I'm going to cue that up right now before I forget. Cool. It's got a really awesome album cover. So there's like an alien waiting to go into a club. Wow. So I typed in time warp and the thing that showed up, I don't know if it's it, but it's the compilation, the Rocky Horror Picture Show oh. from, from 1975 <laughs> with like this, uh, um, yeah, I don't even know who this is. It's a kind of David Bowie-esque looking guy with like a Frankenstein wife in the background. I have no idea. Different That's time not... warp, yep. but I think I'm in, great. I'm, I'm, I'm now in a time warp just having done this quick <laughs> search. I have performed time warp before for a wedding uh, with uh, my, my old pop rock band, Woodrow. And it was ridiculous. It's so fun. A lot of like fun voices. Yeah, I'm sure. Was who's the bait? Was was um, Stanley Clark in for this one? Uh, looks like it's John Patucci. Oh, John Patitucci. Yeah, he rules. Oh, Patitucci, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He has a really, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but he's got some really interesting stuff. He does like these little like three to four minute, like just him in front of a camera telling like a cool old anecdote or what he tells his students. And he's like, such, 
he is such a calming presence in the way that he shares ideas. I think you'd really like him. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, I'll yeah. let me subscribe or follow. Yeah, yeah. Right jump on now. that wagon. He is he's wonderful. He's a sweet dude. Let's close this thing out. Let's get to our our third and final song. Um, which I think I mentioned in the beginning is definitely a shift from the first, I mean, from the first genre with, with ABBA, the second genre with, with John Prine, it's very much its own classical music. Can you talk a little bit about, I know you said you were classically trained in piano from an earlier age. Is that when this came into your orbit or how, like, when did this enter your life? Yeah. So no, I, the classical performance that I did as a child were, it was solo piano. So thinking back on it, it's kind of insane. We would do these competitions where you had to have, you know, entire Beethoven sonata, all four movements or whatever, completely memorized. Jeepers. And you'd, yeah, yeah, you'd walk into this like empty auditorium and you'd sit down at the grand piano and you play the whole thing. And there's just like three old white people you know, with their red pens and a copy of your music. Or and brow. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're just circling furiously when you miss any notes. Like yeah. they're just reading it, uh, which is just insane if you mm. think about it. It's an insane thing to do. Does it give you like phantom anxiety thinking about that? <laughs> you know, I... I am an anxious person. I do have anxiety. Did I have it before this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask the will, judges. <laughs> yeah, right. I will also say I, my piano teacher growing up, uh, Judy Thomas, she was incredible, uh, but she was also like very strict and very demanding. And the mm -hmm. expectation was that you would practice for over an hour every day. Um, and, you know, she she was really good about being like, okay, 15 minutes, you're going to do this exercise and 15 minutes, this exercise and do this and this and this. Uh, it was very well structured. But like, man, if you didn't practice enough, like she would let you have it. Ooh. And I, my like understanding of instructors and my expectation of instructors and teachers ever since then, I like want them to be kind of mean to me. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, like a nice instructor, I'll just be like, oh, well, they don't mean it, you know, because my, I developed. Oh, no, Claire. I know, oh, no. I know. It's like, it's so toxic, but it's like it what is. I need. Oh, wow. Like, I feel like the only way for us to grow our friendship is beyond this. Is that to be a little bit of a dick? Is that, is that yeah, what I'm hearing? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, screw you and keep talking. Great. Love it already. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting thing. I struggled with this actually when I um, moved up to Madison and started playing double bass. My bass instructor, who is incredible, incredible musician, he had this much more like laissez-faire attitude about instruction where he'd be like, you should check out this song. And then like, he wouldn't ask me about it. He would just like, if no I brought something. Yeah, no follow-ups. And it was like, if I brought it, he'd be like, great. And if I didn't bring it, it was like, no problem. And I remember like really struggling with that attitude of being like, I don't know, aren't you going to yell at me? <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't do what you told me to do. Aren't you upset? Yeah. You should be disappointed. <laughs> right. Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, years and years and years in a practice room as a child with classical music, um, I think has definitely, I notice it in my writing that I just kind of have 
some like classical music tendencies, even though I don't like listen to it much these days. I, I just like, I'll never be able to escape it from, you know, the, I don't know how many hours I put in. It's probably not 10,000, but it's a lot. Oof, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love classical music and I, anyone who has attempted to listen to classical music and didn't like it, my uh, advice for you is that you're not listening to it loud enough. Classical music should be listened to at max volume. It's the yeah. only way to truly appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's fair too, if you think about the way some of that stuff or when it was recorded and thinking about the technology that they had at that time to, to give you a good sound quality. Because like a lot of older stuff, and I think this is one example that is an older recording, at least the one that I listened to, and because the technology wasn't that great at that time, you can't hear everything really well. So I had to mm. turn it up. And then I was like, oh, so that's where the oboes are. Oh, like that's where like I can hear these lower notes of the cello. Like, of course, we can hear the upper register notes because they sing out and kind of break through the mix more. But mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I totally agree. It's so much easier to hear every piece of a symphony or orchestra when it's kind of blasted. Yeah, right. And it becomes this immersive experience. And this is yes. where this Ravel song has, this is what makes it the, one of my choices for this list. So uh, I stopped playing piano in high school and didn't really check back in with classical music until uh, I was playing double bass in Madison and decided to join the Middleton Community Orchestra here, which is a fantastic orchestra, one of the best hmm. um, community orchestras we have. And uh, honestly, I think it, it like, swings way above its weight as far as like you know being quote unquote amateur sure um but anyways i i was by far one of the worst people in the orchestra i, I was like new to being a double bassist and these people all are like <laughs> very serious musicians yeah yeah but i remember the first day that i went to a practice i went to this tryout and they basically were like well we need double bases so whatever you're you're hired you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow you really way to make me feel good but okay <laughs> yeah i know i was like i don't care i just let me in um the first the very first rehearsal i went to they played this song and you know it's one of those things where they're like all right we're gonna start you know number four petit pousset and uh right create everybody and i'm just totally out of my element i you know i'm just standing there like oh god right i'm not prepared for this um but being in the middle of the room when this song was being played was just so beautiful i remember just standing there like mouth open <laughs> just in shock and awe of like how beautiful it was to be in the middle of it and i think the the experience was so much more powerful and much so much stronger having that immersive moment um yeah as opposed to just kind of like you know casually listening to it in your headphones uh yeah i i can't even describe it it, it was like this transcendental experience yeah and it really kind of brought classical music back into my life um in a really beautiful way and it was nice to connect to it again after you know my entire childhood of of this like very rigorous classical uh, study. Yeah. Uh, side note, this is also the only gig I've ever been fired from. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Yeah, that's, that's I know. That's a plot twist. I know, I, yeah, cause I loved it so much, but I uh, was not the most reliable 
uh, member of the orchestra and just like missed a rehearsal and then missed a show and got fired basically yeah. from like from the community orchestra <laughs> yeah that'll that'll kind of do it that right and i was like... like you know what that's fine uh it's, <laughs> it's good to have that experience now i know that i don't want to ever put myself in a position to get kicked out of something ever again <laughs> yeah yeah you kind of like found how deep the water is in a way yeah totally and you know i you you can like push boundaries all your life and then eventually you cross a line and you're like oh that's where the line is now yep. i know yep yeah, I have burned my, hand, burned my hand on the stove. Let's go <laughs> stick it in some icy water and think about what we're going to do next. Yeah, but yeah, all that to say, like, there's, it just kind of shows how seriously they take their art, where, like, they yeah. don't, they're not going to stand for, the, the Middleton Community Orchestra will not stand for a bass player missing a rehearsal on a show. Not, not at all. They don't need that. No. And, uh, so, you know, I, I still have a ton of respect for them, uh, or maybe even more so after that. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're serious about what they do, which is like, you can't, I feel like there always has to be some level of respect when you observe another person or group being serious about what they do, regardless of whatever it is. It's like, oh, yeah. like, they really care about that thing. Like they make really good kites. I think that's pretty impressive. Like I find their kite making to be like, they care about it so much. Look at how beautiful that kite is. Yeah, right. Well, and this is something that like, I, <laughs> I run into a lot with bands. It's really difficult uh, to find a group of people that are all on the same page, even, yeah. even in a rock band of four to five people, sure. you know, like that's, it's so difficult to find a group of people who all, all want to work the same level, um, who like care about the project at the same level, who are willing to put in the same amount of work. Like it's nearly impossible. Yeah. Um, and you know, there are plenty of bands that should be more successful than they are, but like, because of that, you know, maybe some of their members aren't quite at the same level of like priority ranking yeah. of where they, where they put that in their life. Like it, it can kill a project. So having this organization of, you know, like there's like 60 people in an orchestra, yeah. you know, and so for them to have that level of commitment by every single one of these people is just like, wow, that's so cool. It's so impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the hive. It's like a hive mm -hmm. mind type of thing. Yeah. yeah. But like how do you so like thinking about that, like let's say hypothetically, and I you know, obviously like you've been at a number of bands over the years, a lot of different performances. How do you personally deal with that where if your level of motivation drive prioritizing the music, the band is different than another person in the band? How do you how does like Claire navigate that? Yeah, that's a good question. And luckily I haven't had the experience where I, where we've had to like fire someone from a band. Um, for the most part, they've all been really good experiences of people who are all on the same page. But I, I kind of know to look for that now, you know, before I join one, like I recently joined a bluegrass band and that was kind of something that I was looking for before I joined was like, all right, who's in this band? How much are they, what's their communication like? Yeah. Do they communicate well? Like do they all show up for practice is anyone like consistently late you know yeah what's the organization like what's their google drive structure you know that mm. tells you a lot about a band interesting okay google, so, yeah, google drive I, please yeah man that's uh <laughs> if you want to really understand where your band's at take a look at your google drive <laughs> yeah i mean that totally makes sense like it reminds me of um 
a bassist you might have heard of before. His name is Ian Martin Allison. Um, he's a part of the, uh, he's like a, it seems like he's kind of like a, a pretty important figure, a part of Scott's Bass Lessons, if you're familiar with that online oh, academy. Yeah, totally. yeah um, so what I think is really funny when I see some of the videos of Scott and Ian Martin Allison together is that they're both like six foot two pasty white dudes with big thick like black rib glasses and I'm like you guys are <laughs> twins you guys are just <laughs> twins except one of you loves jazz basses and one of you loves p basses and that's oh, the funny. difference um but anyways it but yeah what you said reminded me of of Ian Martin Allison because on one of the episodes of their podcast from like months ago maybe last year He's talking about like three important attributes or characteristics of a musician to be like to kind of get the gig, basically, like getting a part of a band or if, especially if you're a studio musician, like just getting mm -hmm. that one gig to help track a, a bass line or whatever it is on that. And, and one of them is like being professional, which a lot mm -hmm. of things that you spoke to is just straight up professionalism, no matter which way you cut it. Another part of it is just like, are you a good hang? Like, do you have a good vibe? Do you put yeah. people at ease or do you make them feel like they're walking on eggshells, which is like anything that is done super aggressive and not relaxed ends up not really turning out the way that you'd like. And you can say that about making a casserole. You could say that about driving a car. You could say that about performing a, a ACL replacement surgery. If you're a, a surgeon, like if you don't have like just like if you if you're not a smooth operator, it's not going to work out. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. That's so true. The bedside manner, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but professionalism. It's so yeah. critical. So critical. Yeah, it really is. And that's something that I think, you know, yeah, we, it would be nice if it were all just about playing the music. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's not how bands work. There's booking and marketing and, yeah, you know, weekly rehearsals and, you know, you want to make those fun. You don't want to make them work right and I, i've actually had an experience where like we were talking about people caring about the project on different levels one of the first bands that i played double bass in was a bluegrass band and like i was god i was so overbearing about the whole thing it was like this very casual band mm. and i thinking back on it i you know it was like if anything went wrong i would just like get really in a tizzy about mm. it it and was, like it was competition clear that was there that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've learned a lot since then about like, oh, that's not how you manage a group of people. That's not, <laughs> you know, I was not a good hang in that project. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, Claire was Needless not a good hang. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I distinctly remember I had this moment where one of the guys who was way too professional and like way better of a player than the rest of us in this project, like he was way better than us and really should have been in a different band oh yeah what did he what did he um, play mandolin okay funnily enough he's now the mandolin player in the band the bluegrass band that i just joined so oh, wow. this is a real full circle moment for me big time uh, big time but like you know seven or eight years ago this guy in this band i remember talking to him and like we had been like oh let's go busk at the farmer's market you know and he was just like not into it because you know he was functioning at a higher level like i would sure. not go bust at the farmer's market now sure, sure. <laughs> but like at the time you know i was like that this is a big deal this is really important for us like yeah let's go do it and i remember just like yeah i remember just like firing off this text message and, and just like being a total dick about him not wanting to do this with us 
Yeah. And I remember after that interaction, that was basically the end of the band. And I remember being like, huh, well, I'm never going to play music with that guy again. (laughs) (laughs) I burned that bridge. (laughs) Oh, man. But you know what? Seven years later, uh, we're now in a band together and he's great. So, yeah, I mean, it's timing. Timing is everything. That's true. That's very true. And, you know, I, I have gone through a lot of growth since then. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about growth. Tell me two things that are, that you've like developed since that time. Um, let's see. I have developed, I think my goals for what I want out of music have changed since then. And this is some of my improv training that has kind of pervaded every corner of my life. But like my goals now for a band practice is not let's play the song perfectly. It's like, how do we, how do we grow and, and make sure everyone is having like a really good time and a creative time, you know? So like now what I want to do instead of just running tunes, it's like, let's do some listening exercises or like, let's, hang out or let's let's like work on our creativity and and work on having a a, like a fun time at rehearsal i don't know it's like most of us are doing this as a side thing you know instead of a full-time job so you don't want both of them to feel like these soul-sucking jobs you want this one to be like a, a freeing positive creative experience um and I think I was approaching it back in the day a little more, again, like this, this like very rigorous classical, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very business-like thing that I had been trained in. Um, and, and now I've relaxed a lot more, which is good. Um, the other piece of growth that I've had, I uh, for a long time, I would just like fill as much space as I could with notes. And it was kind of like each musician is all doing their their own thing, right? Uh, and recently what I've been really trying to work on is like understanding my role a little better and trying to leave more space and like mm. only do like a sick fill when it's appropriate yes. <laughs> as opposed to like all the time. Yes. I don't, I don't know. It, it took me a long time to realize this, but like, if you're constantly showing off, then it kind of diminishes the impact of it. Absolutely. That's so, so true. So, so true. It's like, you want to be able to retain, you don't want to be like playing at a hundred percent of your own capacity all the time. You want to leave a little bit of, of headroom in there. Yeah. And this is actually something that I learned a lot by playing in the house jams that my house has, which is how we met. It is. Uh, so my roommates, uh, one of my roommates, he organizes this like free jam uh, once a week and him and some buddies. Uh, and you were, you were a long time member of this jam, right, Benny? Was, I was, yeah. Okay. Uh, so maybe you would be more qualified to speak on this, but, but yeah, like they just all get together and, it's like five people maybe between like three and seven or eight people at any given time. And you just kind of play music together 
it's not songs that like people would know. You just kind of come up with it on the spot. Yeah. And for me that it kind of helped me unlock like, okay, there's so many people playing (laughs) that you can't be busy. You know, you have to just like find your groove and stick to it. And I think I really started to understand the purpose of groove a little bit through that Mm. experience. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've never I'm so curious to hear about your perspective of the jam because like that's kind of where I started to learn the bass and like play with those guys. So interesting. So you learned more about groove and feel and space from playing music with people that just like to make noise and sometimes doesn't make any sense. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like I don't play with drummers that often is the thing. Like Yeah, that's huge, especially yeah. as a bass player. It's huge. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that was a big thing. Like in, I think the only band that I've been in that had a drummer was Woodrow and he didn't come, we, we weren't playing like groove. It was like more pop rock. So like, I think there was less of that need to have a really locked in groove, you know? And so like playing in the free, in the jam, the free jam. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It just like a lot especially uh like when robbie and joe play drums you know i feel like it's really easy to like really get a really nice tasty groove going absolutely yeah because the things that they play aren't terribly complex they're relatively simple and i think that's one of their best strengths is that it's just like it's like something that everyone can kind of like feel and relate to and get in on and be a part of yeah totally i i have this like really strong memory one time we're all jamming in the basement and I think Joe was playing drums and we, yeah, we just like found this groove. It was very simple. And it was like, you know, you just play one note, maybe half a beat ahead. Right. In like a four bar phrase, like very standard. And then there's this one beat where you're just like, eh, you like anticipated a little bit. And I could have played that, that four bar phrase for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. so good <laughs> just like yeah the, we we like locked in that groove perfectly and then like yeah every four bit every four bars when that anticipated beat came around it just was like yeah oh it was so perfect yeah you're, you're just like looking at each other like are we doing the thing are we doing it <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> oh that's so, so awesome yeah yeah that's amazing I like the one i think you and i have played together once maybe twice at, uh-huh. at these jams in the basement i remember like the one fun memory that i have for you and i is when you were playing keys and i was playing bass and i don't even know what you were doing like this you were doing some sort of like higher harmon harmonization with some sort of notes and i was just doubling what you were doing like i was yeah, just listening I remember that too. awesome i'm so glad you do <laughs> i love that <laughs> i love that moment that was so much fun right it's like yeah you just you find a person and who's playing something and you just match what they're doing and it's it's right like instead of two people doing their own thing and like both making music to get like all of a sudden it becomes power more powerful because we're both like all right let's do this we're creating something together yes yes Uh like it's there's no sweeter sensation it's like there's a gravitational pull when more people start to do the same thing or if or if there's space for another person to come in that's doing something different then it's like complementary and kind of like this auxiliary type of addition like oftentimes percussionists are like that or if there's just like you know a guitarist that adds some like upper register weird stuff or just ambience it like 
And then it, that's when it becomes like kind of symphonic because there's so many layers to it. And it's so global in that sense. Yeah, totally. This is one thing that the bluegrass band Big Tooth that I'm in now, they, they're so precise. And I, I've never been in a band this precise before where it just like, every note they play is purposeful. And like, it's taken me a long time to get onboarded onto that. Cause I come from jazz where we're all just like, at least the, the jazz players that I've been playing with, you know, you're just kind of throwing yeah. notes out there yeah. and having fun with it. And, yeah. You know, I think I, this has been really great for my musical journey to have to really think about every note I'm playing as a choice. Yeah. Um, and like, because everyone else around me is being so intentional, you know, like it really sticks out when I'm not, you know, all of a sudden there's this one person just kind of like, you know, tossing notes into a trash can. <laughs> really? And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's me in the scenario and, and you can hear it. You can tell the difference. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. It's, it, and what, so what is that like? You said it's taken you out a little bit to onboard yourself into that style of playing, thinking about the jam at your house and how that's like the blankest slate of all blank slates. But then you go to that, what is it, what kind of like mental switch do you have to do to operate well in both of those spaces? Yeah. And I think in both of them, it's listening. This is something that I have become a bit obsessive about in the past couple of years is like musicians who listen closely are, are better than other musicians like that. That to <laughs> me is it's like, that's where the bar is. Either you yeah. are a good musician because you listen or you're not. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's, you know, that's not true. You can be a great musician and not listen. But for me, the people that I want to play with mm -hmm. are the people that I can tell are listening. Right. So like in the jam, that's also true. Like it's more fun. Like we were just talking about, like yeah. you hear someone doing something and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do what they're doing. And like, I'm listening to what they're doing and I'm thinking about how I can affect it and augment it. Um, and these guys in Big Tooth are also listening so closely to each other. And so I think in both of them, the approach is really just coming in ready to listen really hard i mean it's it's like a really uh mentally taxing thing to do if you're not used to it but, yeah it can be yeah but yeah i think like i've definitely been in bands with people before where you know they'll they're just going to do their own thing and you have to change to what they're doing because like they're not um if you like change what say you like change your groove they're not going to come along with you you know right yeah, and which it's like, tough. It's tough to it do that. Tough. The image that comes to mind for that particular instance you're talking about is where if like if one person changes the groove, but the rest like the one person or the first person doesn't match that or doesn't recognize it because they're not listening, it makes you think of four people or however many people are in the band holding hands, all walking in one direction. And then that one person that just kind of keeps playing the same thing is walking ahead of everybody else, but still holding hands. And they're not like acknowledging that everyone else is like, just started to walk slowly and walking back behind them. Yeah. And it's just like, exactly. it's, like not, it's like you're not even with us anymore. It just, it feels, right. it's just like, this is like, this is all about togetherness and like doing it together and building it together. But you're not even like seeing us and not even like being here with us in a way. Totally. That's such a good visual uh, descriptor of it. 
because yeah it's you know you're still walking in the same direction yeah but like but yeah you're you're missing out on this like next level of connection and, and musicality by not like checking in with what everyone else is doing and like being open to changing when they change yeah 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 and it's rec recognizing when there's like a good thing going yeah totally music's great i know i was just like i want to go practice now i, think I'm I know practice i don't after talking with you i'm just like <laughs> like i got a new bass two days ago and so like Ooh. it's i know it's it's an exciting time in the house for oh sure um but yeah what definitely what bass did you get Oh, I suppose we're going to get into it, aren't we? Yeah, so, we got to. Uh, yeah. All right. Hang on, listeners. Hang on tight. This is an extra specific <laughs> bass talk. Um, so I have, I think you've only seen the one bass that I brought up to the house, which is my yeah. like, turquoise P bass. Um, I also have a four string Sterling by Music Man Stingray. Oh, nice. Um, like three color sunburst, which is fun. That was my first bass that I got. The bass that I got two days ago was one of Marcus Miller's Marcus Miller's signature basses from Sire. It's a five-string jazz bass. Um, I'll just email you like the listing or the picture of it. It's it's white tortoiseshell pickguard, five-string perloid block inlays. Claire, Great. this bass is so beautiful. And oh my God. I sometimes when I'm not even when I'm like in the kitchen, I just like turn and look at it and I just like stop and look at it. I do that multiple times a day. I love that. That's amazing. Oh, that's a beautiful moment yeah so. i have been considering getting a five string uh they just especially for funk playing it seems like absolutely and like there's there's so much like there's you can toggle active passive with this bass so th it's just kind of like limitless i know i could just keep oh <laughs> thumbs up there's a thumbs up um i'm gonna keep thumb, my thumbs in my pockets um <laughs> the next time i come up i'll bring it you should and you should oh, absolutely play yeah. it. please please play do it. okay that sounds great i would love yeah. to yeah, I'd love to hear you play it. Awesome. Well, let's let's close this thing out. Is there anything else you want to mention about this final song? I would recommend, again, listen to it as loud as you can take it. Uh, and, you know, go on a walk. Experience the fall while listening to this song. I yes. think classical music can be so immersive. And it's great to to like allow yourself to be immersed in in nature and i don't know that sounds really uh hippie but it does but it's still true just because it sounds true. just because it sounds really hippie does not mean that it's invalid <laughs> yeah um no i i love this song it's really beautiful um and like i said classical music um be, like being immersed in it was such a incredible moment for me and it, it really just like struck home to me that like listening to music is one thing but creating music with other people that's like that's where it's at you know what what else is there right yeah it's such a it's such a cool way to connect with fellow, your fellow humans um, yeah so everyone go play music with your friends today do it yeah that's i mean yeah I can't wait for, I can't wait for the next time I come up and play at the I house know. to bring this bass. It's going to be such yeah. a treat. Yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be, yeah, for sure. But well, what do you have going on the rest of the day? Um, I'm going to go see a show, actually. Oh. Uh, Tito Martinez, I think, okay. um, is playing at the Arts and Lit Lab. Cool. That's a good, good little venue. Tito Medina, excuse me. 
Yeah, okay. uh, I'm excited about it. I know very little about him, but he's a renowned Guatemalan singer-songwriter. So I think it's going to be a really cool show. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Have fun. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's... One thing I like to do at the end of every episode with, with the guest is a two-parter. Is there anything that you're currently really excited about that you just want to share? And do you have any sort of words of wisdom that you want to share to Annie and all the human beings that listen to this episode? Yes. Uh, what I'm excited about, we talked a little bit about this at the front of the show, but from the front row, the music production concert experience uh, that I'm working on, it's I'm. it's been one of the most difficult things in my life so far. I could mm -hmm. not have anticipated how many details and like little pieces you have to know. I mean, like not only is it audio engineering, which I feel pretty comfortable with and music performance, which I also feel comfortable with, but like the video side of things, there's so many rules and little mm -hmm. things that you can do wrong that'll just ruin everything. Um, and it's been great, it's been so fun. And I think we, I'm really excited to share to share not only Madison and the Midwest music, but also the locations that we have with, with everyone. So uh, more to come on that. Yeah, I'm excited. And like I said, I think anything that you have that you're currently working on or that you're a part of that you'd want me to put in the show notes of the episode, I'd love to get those links to make sure we can plug everything that needs a good old fashioned plug. Cool. And then as far as uh, tips that I have for anyone, this is more of a, a music practice tip, but mm. this goes way back to my classical days and it's something that I still do. And that's practice with a metronome. And practice with a metronome on beats one and three and then swap it and then practice with a metronome on beats two and four. Yeah. And you're like, your playing will get so much better instantly. Uh, my band, Big Tooth, the Bluegrass Band, we practice with a metronome. Basically, all, all of our band practices are with a metronome. And like my solo practice, I try to do with a metronome too. Um, so yeah, that's like the single quickest uh, change or like smallest change you can do to level up, I think. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Cause I have, I use a couple different apps. I use one that allows you to create drum grooves and you can change oh, cool. every part about it. I'll, I can share it with you. Um, and like a lot of different styles, like Latin grooves, you can put the snare on, on two and four, you can put it on one and three, you can put it on just three, change the hi-hat groove, everything. So, um, but that's really good. I think simplifying and just doing a metronome is just really good. And also if you just want like less, less noise, you can really hear yourself just the metronome so yeah and that's something like you know it's it's pretty eye-opening especially like when you're a group playing together if you put a metronome on it can really show you <laughs> like <laughs> you may think that you're playing yeah <laughs> a regular beat but like it's it's so difficult to do um, yeah it's it's really eye-opening yeah i'm imagining the metronome looking like one of those judges when you were a kid with that that red pen <laughs> yeah. just being like nope you missed it pursed lips yeah, yeah exactly just the, the thickest <laughs> like the most like the dustiest furrowed eyebrow like <laughs> can't get any dustier exactly exactly <laughs> oh man oh sweet well 
I want to thank you, Claire. This has been a really delightful chat. It's been really fun. It's been really fun to just like talk about these specific uh, topics about music and about your family and the songs, but also just to like, I guess the culmination of that is I get to know you a bit better, which is really yeah. great and which is super fun. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is was super fun. Mm -hmm.